All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You are listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. And finally, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. As we kick off every weekend's MoneyWise program, I turn it over to my brother Jeff to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 903 points or 2.7%. The SP 500 last week was up about 51.5 points or 1.2%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 210 points, or 1.5%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 13.6%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 12.7%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 6.7%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So, this past week... What can we say about this past week? Well, other it, than, was, it, it wasn't like the last two weeks where we were essentially flat. So, well, what we've, I mean, for the S&P, yes. I mean, last week, the yeah. S&P was up a whopping point, one point, right. so we called it flat. But as we've talked in past the past several weeks on the MoneyWise program is that the market was getting into an overbought condition, particularly on the S&P and the Dow. NASDAQ has been again is having a decent year if you annualize 6.7% it's it's annualized well into the double digits which is not bad but when you compare it to the dow and the sp obviously trailing you know quite significantly year to date in this continuous rotation of monies out of the technology names going into maybe some of the slower growth more classic stocks dividend paying income producing stocks but something interesting happened this past week because it seems that the markets had been so tied in to their movement with the movement of the 10-year Treasury. And the 10-year Treasury closed on Friday at a 1.57% 10-year yield. But we were noticing throughout this entire year so far that when it seemed that interest rates were going up, the NASDAQ was selling off. Well, this past week, we saw a situation where we saw interest rates coming down and the NASDAQ also coming down with it. And I remember, I believe it was on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, Jim Cramer made the comment before the market opened. He was kind of questioning what, uh, what algorithm got changed. Uh, <laughs> because he said, wait a second. He said, normally when rates go down is when 
we're supposed to be seeing the NASDAQ picking up steam and, and, and buying coming in. He's like, who, cha- who, who reprogrammed the algorithms to where rates are coming down and the NASDAQ was coming down? So that was one thing that I just noticed from a mechanical standpoint of the market with the 10-year treasury and the NASDAQ selling while rates were coming down. Now, correct me if I'm not remembering this correctly, but wasn't the week just passed that we had earnings for some of the big cap tech names come out, the Apples and some others, and their stock prices have, have once again reacted the same way they did in, in uh, February and really drifted sideways to down. Again, calling the you know, the question like, okay, we have blowout earnings in these big te- big cap tech names, but their stocks don't really do anything after the earnings are announced, and 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 so what you know I, as we were talking about this, talking about that this week, Kyle, I was I was saying, you know, has the market priced in all of the good news, the good earnings from the mega cap tech names? Everybody that wants to own them owns them. They don't necessarily want to add any more to them. And those that don't own them view them as too expensive to own. And therefore they just kind of just drift there. And then the other, the other uh, potential explanation as to for why the mega cap techs are behaving the way that they are is how many investors are anticipating uh, higher capital gains taxes in 2022. And so rather than wait for the actual bill to be passed, whatever that bill is going to be, because they're going to they're be negotiating this all summer long, we'll just sell now and ask questions later. So how much, talking how about much selling, that, selling the rumor as opposed to selling the news is kind of what you're talking about. Well, just how many, how many folks are just, are just saying, okay, I want to lock in these gains and know that I'm going to pay a lower capital gains tax rate now. So I'll just take the gains. I'll sit back. We'll see what the bill is. Maybe these stop, maybe they're afraid that these, that there will be others down the line that do the same thing and that, which has the potential to drive the stock a little bit lower or maybe a lot bit lower and they'll come back in and, and buy back at some point. Now, all the things that we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen, are more short term oriented trading type, it's a trade, uh, not a trend, in, in my opinion. And, 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 and what we did this, and just to remind the listeners, sorry to interrupt you, Kyle. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm acting like dad, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we all act like dad from time to time. It's okay. So, uh, and that's not a slam on dad. That's just dad. No, it's not. That's just dad. But the, you know, the other thing, see, now I've lost my train of thought. That, 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 that doesn't well, happen, well, that well, doesn't well, happen well, very often. No, what I was, sorry about that. Well, I mean, what I I was going to say, yeah, they they got Joe in here from the cheap seats taking, taking the cheap shot. I was watching this sometimes. It's entertaining. That's right. It's entertaining. But, but what I was going to say is, you know, talking about our investors already saying that the quarter over quarter earnings comparisons, they're not going to get any better. Like this is kind of the top for a long period of time for these tech names and they can't go any higher from here. And maybe is that why some of the selling is coming in. But you're talking about the capital gains and kind of selling on the rumor. We don't know what the the final bill is going to look like from a cap gain standpoint. And President Biden has already telegraphed that this is only going to be affecting investors that make over a million dollars a year. And so 
if everyone that was in this category sold from reports I've read, it'd be about $178 billion if everyone that is in this category that the potential, the potential uh, capital gains tax would affect, it would be $178 billion coming out of the market or the selling happening. Well, we're talking about a market that's got capitalization in the trillions. And so, yes, $178 billion is a lot of money, but really the at the end of the day, it's not so much money that's going to be causing some destructive correction in the market. Let's hold that thought. Let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, just going and recapping as we always do on every weekend's Money Wise program, the happenings of Wall, on Wall Street from this past week, and talking about these tech earnings and the fact that, you know, you look at the Googles of the world, the Amazons, the Apples, Facebooks, I mean, all of them just absolutely obliterated their earnings, but they haven't been getting a lot of love from investors. Now, one thing I have been reading over the past several weeks is that I think some of this money, a good chunk of this money, according to the reports I've been reading, have been coming from more of the institutional investors, primarily in the hedge fund space, but they have been tracking new money coming into these names, but more on the retail side. So obviously, the retail money that's been coming in from the mom and pop traders and, and investors it far is is overshadowed by the money coming out from these institutional traders and hedge funds that are managing billions and billions of dollars. And so that's why we're seeing, again, these technology names not responding as favorably to just completely crushing their earnings numbers. I just think they're so widely owned. And I'll give you an example. <clears throat> Pardon me. We had a mutual fund that took the unusual move of asking for shareholder approval to have its status changed from a diversified mutual fund to a non-diversified mutual fund under whatever these SEC guidelines are that define diversified versus non-diversified. And, and one of the reasons they, they cited was the fact that they have holdings in these big mega cap tech names that have run up a ton. They've put some more money into them, but they have the, the, the appreciation that has occurred in these particular stocks over the last year plus has caused their mutual fund to become overweighted in those mega cap tech names. Hey, Kyle and I talked about this last week actually about what market weight versus equally weight right. means well, and and that's exactly to your point Jeff well, which so it's uh, you know we 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 haven't had any other mutual funds ask for shareholder approval to change their status from diversified to non-diversified and in the 29 years that I've been doing this I can't recall another mutual fund asking shareholders uh, approval 
to, to do this. Now, I know that y'all had some conversations. I think, Joe, you had a conversation with somebody inside this particular mutual fund that offered to have us have a conference call and learn about it. But, you know, it kind of what, what, what kind of what concerns me there is that, you know, how many other mutual funds have large positions in these particular stocks and these large positions at some point will start to be unwound. Now we may be seeing that happening right now and that's why the stocks are behaving the way they are. Yes, Jeff. I mean, Jeff, I actually did a little bit of research earlier this week that looked at that large cap growth category in Morningstar and a lot of these large cap growth funds had positions where they'd have an individual stock that was 8%, 7, 7, 8, 9, sometimes 10% of the overall portfolio. So this one particular mutual fund is not alone. Many of these mutual funds that are top-performing mutual funds have had a, a disproportionate amount of, of uh, exposure. Yeah, uh, in, in I don't know, large I don't know that stocks. they're necessarily top-performing mutual funds this year. Um, especially in the, the growth category is definitely not getting any love. I'm talking about historically. So. Yeah, but historically, yeah. I'm talking about, but I'm talking about, yeah, historically, yes, this year growth has been suffering and right. continues to suffer. It's, it's, it's amazing how much the script has gotten flipped on investors this year with value being so unloved last year and lo- and value this year really getting the majority of the love. Well, value's been unloved for many, many, many years. Yes, I mean, really, po- post post the financial crisis, with just there, there are some high points for value within certain market years, and and really, that's the sixty four thousand dollar question: Is this just going to be the entire year for value, or are we going to start seeing as the economy continues to open up, as employees get back to work, as as we see unemployment coming down? We see other states that have been on lockdown opening up. Are we going to start seeing some more rotation into these tech names? Because, you know, you mm-hmm. talk about valuations. You know, I'm looking at Apple. Apple has a current price earnings multiple of 29. Well, its five-year range is between 11 and 42. So, you know, it's not – it's sitting a little bit over half of its five-year PE range. And if I go and look at Amazon, if I go and look at Google, they're not at the top of their price earnings range. You know, one of one of the markers that we look at when we have our 44-point scoring system for stocks that we could potentially own is I have a peg ratio in there, and that's price earnings over growth. Not to get deep in the weeds from a technical standpoint, but I like to see it under a certain level. If I see it over a certain level and it's violated, then that's telling me that this stock could be currently overvalued. It might not be a good time to go and buy into it. And so when I look at the Amazon, Google, Facebook, we don't own Facebook, but I look at some of these tech names we do own, and all of them are under where we want them to be from a peg ratio standpoint, which is telling me that they're not overvalued. But the way they performed this year, yes, there's been profit taking. We're we're guilty of that. We took profits the very first day of the new year in all of these big mega cap tech names. And then we took even more profits when we went from an overweight, underweight strategy to an equally weighted strategy in all of our individual stocks in our portfolio back in January to help mitigate risk, knowing that we have a new uh, a new administration in the White House and not knowing what, what the yahoos in Washington were going to be doing this year with a lot of unknowns with the Democrats having this this control in Washington. And so 
any longtime listener of our program knows that we have spent this year taking profits, going to an equally weighted strategy, building our dividend sleeve and barbelling our portfolio with value and growth, not just heavily weighted or leaning towards growth. And some of the tech names, yeah, they have been a little bit of a drag on the portfolio. Our healthcare sector, you know, healthcare, which has been an absolute juggernaut for more than 10 years, is definitely, they're getting less love than the technology names in the healthcare space. And in the midst of this still trying to come out of the pandemic, it's really amazing how healthcare has underperformed so far this year. I know I took that baby to a place you guys weren't expecting, <laughs> but I just, you know, Joe, Joe ran a very interesting report showing just our sector participation right. in our portfolios where we're under or overweighted and healthcare is got a very solid, you know, we're a little overweighted in healthcare and due to the fact that healthcare has definitely not been getting a lot of love this year, but has been a great long-term growth driver that has negatively impacted the portfolio to a sense. I thought it was, you know, it, I'm not, not surprised this week hearing President Biden say that he was willing to negotiate those corporate income tax rates that he came out, what, last week, the week before, saying, we, you know, we're going after, you know, we're going to get, was it 28%? And, Joe and Manchin's it, made one comment. <laughs> like, one comment. So, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to negotiate. And, Who's and really maybe, in charge? And maybe we could go. Maybe we can go to 25 percent on this. So I, I can't tell I, you I how many questions. Be like a live auction, pretty soon. Yeah, so. I can't. I can't tell you how many questions I fielded this week from a, a couple of current clients that I've met with. Wound up about. Uh, tax policy uh, and and how it, what effect we thought that it was going to have uh, on their portfolios and you know I think we, we've been saying this when you know, if any of our listeners have heard us say this for the last couple of shows or only the last couple of months and it really it had our, our position hasn't changed in the end whatever it was that was announced originally is not going to be what the bill finally turns out to be it's going to be something uh less than what it what was requested uh, and it's not going to have uh long-term detrimental effects in the portfolio i do think capital gain tax rate will will be changed uh, i do think probably the highest of the high-flying stocks uh will have a period of time where they're going to be sold and they may flounder for a bit uh, but none of us think Apple or Microsoft or Amazon or, or Google, Google are are dead. They're they're not. You know they're no. they're they're at the they're, top of the heap in their fields, and and they're going to be at the top of heap in their fields until somebody builds a better Google, build, builds a better Apple iPhone, uh, you know, builds a better online shopping experience. You know. Until someone uh, does that, that's going to be very tough next to impossible because these companies control so much, whether it's AWS over at Amazon or Google and their search functionality, right. they've built kind of a, a back door for themselves to where they stay in charge. And if you're an app developer and you want to get on the Apple platform, guess what? You're kicking 30% back to Apple. And there's some app developers that have raised a big stink about it. And Apple tells them to go pound sand. And what are you going to do? 
not do business with Apple, you'd have to be out of your mind not to. Well, let's take a, another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So just continuing to recap this past week on Wall Street, I would say you know the, the bigger pieces of news that came out was on Friday when the employment report was announced. Now, I know pundits across the country were anticipating more than a million jobs. You know, I heard people talk, we could maybe even see 2 million jobs created uh, for the month of April. And it's funny because in the back of my mind, I just had a very sneaking suspicion that we weren't even going to get close to having a million new hires in the month of April. And I've talked, I've kind of told these stories on the radio show, kind of anecdotally, some of our clients that own industries and own companies. And I asked them, you know, how is it getting employees and finding employees? And they're saying how tough it is, how hard it is for them to find good people. Uh, And because people just are not wanting to work. And so just talking, having conversations with our clients, I kind of came up into my mind, I don't, I don't see how we're going to get to these million employees plus. And I know, Jeff, you and I talked about this, where are we in a situation where good is bad and bad is good? Well, it was proven on Friday well, that bad least, was good when the employment report came out. Well, at least for a day. You know, it's like, it's like the, what, what happened to the algorithms? Why were, why were uh, large mega cap tech stocks going down with interest with, with yields on the 10-year treasury going down? Someone decided to change a variable in a program for a day. I mean, that, this, you know, these, 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 I call this the, uh, what do I, I, I call this the uh, perversion of the markets when bad news is good and good news is bad. You know, it doesn't make sense, but it, but it just it sometimes happened in short-term situations. And I, I thought it was also funny that, you know, immediately uh, President Biden comes out and, does, and has a press conference where he's like, don't worry, everything's going to be fine. <laughs> I just, told you our recovery oh, plan was for a year. Got to have patience. You know. I, I love how he was trying to explain away these horrible job numbers. And, and the job numbers, there was 261,000 jobs were created in the month of April. Unemployment ticked up, not down to 6.1%. I didn't catch the U6, which is what's considered the true full unemployment. But basically, the reason why the market reacted this way is because with the lower than expected job creation, and the tick up in inflation or the tick up in the unemployment rate gives more cover to the Federal Reserve to continue to be dovish and to allow the Federal Reserve to continue their bond buying program through quantitative easing, which means that that is, again, compressing interest rates, keeping them lower for longer, driving investors in the stock market, because the biggest risk to the stock market, and we've talked about it on this program 
ad nauseum is sharply higher interest rates, but I think the secondary risk is the conversation or the discussion of the Federal Reserve stopping the quantitative easing or their bond buying on a monthly basis. I mean, Janet Yellen, the Treasury Secretary, made a comment this past week in passing about, well, maybe the Fed needs to think about or needs to start discussing stopping their bond buying and what the markets do. They, neg- they reacted extremely negative to just her comment, and then she had to walk it back after the market closed, which then the market saw a little bit of recovery the following day. This happened this past week. And it's like, hey, Janet, you were the chairman of the Federal Reserve. Do you not she, understand? She forgot, she have, forgot about that. Words have consequences. No, I, I, thought, I thought she said something about that the Fed was going to have to raise interest rates sooner rather that than later. And, that, that's, and that's what really got the markets uh, riled up. Riled up. And it's like, now, wait a second. The Treasury Secretary doesn't have anything to do with the federal fund rate. But she, she's the former chairman yeah. of the Federal Reserve. But so the, but, yeah. her the words market, the, market is, the market is going to set the rate of interest. I mean, the, that's, just, that's just the way it Investors, is. The market right. forces are going to determine what the 10-year Treasury yield and all the other yields, all the Federal Reserve does is <clears throat> determine the Federal Reserve rate. And theoretically, all other yields are built off of that. But sometimes the markets can do their own thing, regardless of what the of, of how the Fed feels. But I'm going to throw in the butt here. Of course, you one always thing, do. The one thing, <laughs> the one thing that we have got to be very, you know, we were we were very focused. Yeah, you know, we were talking about what we were going to do in the portfolios this week, what we were going to sell, what we might buy, and we we said we need to hear this employment number because if it's too hot. The markets may not like it. Well, it was cold as ice. And markets loved it. And the markets loved it, right? This so is the perversion we're talking about because it gives the Federal Reserve cover okay. to a dovish for longer. But here's the but. The but is, is that next week we've got inflation numbers coming out. We got CPI, the Consumer Price Index, on Wednesday, and we got the Producer Price Index on Thursday. Now, the two things that the market is most worried about and it's not capital gains tax rates, is inflation and interest rates and the relationship between the two because typically they are they work in tandem. You start to get higher inflation, you, you get higher interest rates, right, typically. So next week we're going to get the CPI index. Now what happens if that's the consumer price index that comes out on Wednesday is hotter than expected? If it's hotter than expected, what happened on Friday is going to get reversed and then some. Now, if it doesn't come in hotter than expected, well, we already got new all-time highs on the on the S&P and the Dow on Friday. They both closed at all-time highs. The NASDAQ has still not got above its all-time high. I, I can't remember. 14,175. And that was earlier this year, if, I'm, if my memory's right. So if it comes in colder... We're going to get another, you know, I don't know if we're going to get another 1,000-point week up. We was 900 points on the Dow this week. But you certainly could get a nice, an, another nice little run if those inflation numbers are tame. Now, we'll see. I, I mean, I was surprised by the unemployment numbers. I mean, that's a big, that's, what, $800,000, 800,000 job difference from what was expected. 
That's and a you know what the NASDAQ did? The, it, difference. And you know what the futures did the second it was announced? They went from about up 30, 40 points to up over 200. Right. The second it was announced on the NASDAQ. So because it caught the investors' well, like, attention well, to, because the well, Fed Think of all the people that were short. Think of all the people that were short going into that number. And they had so to come it, in and cover. Well, and also, it also – if you look at it from a perspective of employment, we're not at full employment. It's a step back from being fully employed. Meaning the economy is not running as red hot, uh, maybe as people thought it was. Therefore, there's a little bit more room for the stock market to run. Well, you know? and again, and that's all correlates to inflation. That's why Jeff was saying Wednesday's number is going to be an extremely important number for you know. And CPI is not always a, a, a high, a, a highly watched number. But now it is. This year in particular it is. My question is this, too, especially when we're managing money. If you talk about transitory inflation, well, what exactly defines transitory inflation? Meaning how long are we going to give it if inflation is 5 or 6%? And then we say, you know what, this is actually more of a long-term situation here. You're saying how much run – you're asking how much runway – Yes. And then, you know, and then, what's, and then, what's the runway of transitory actually mean? Because yes. the Federal Reserve constantly uses transitory. Is it six months? I mean, I think really well, for the Fed, yeah. it's six months and under, possibly. Uh, but we all know that because the Fed has changed the way that they calculate monetary inflation, they're more than comfortable letting total inflation, monetary inflation, run above 2% for a longer period of time. But as we've said to every listener on this program – everyone's inflationary rate is different. Yeah. I, on what kind of consumer you are. I don't know about six months on and transitory, transitory? basic transitory just means temporary. Well, six what? months is temporary. Yeah. That's my question. Uh, well, that's, see, that's, see, see, that's a great thing, Joe, is that Jerome Powell has never had to define that. He just uses transitory. He's just like very they, clever. Very just, clever. Just like the Federal Reserve says, well, we'll let, we'll let inflation run above our 2% target for a period of time. What's that period of time? We're not going to tell you. We'll tell you. That period of time you. is still after the midterms in 2022. I talked to a client last week, and he sent me an article about inflation in his particular industry, which is plastics. They're seeing it right now in that particular industry. And in certain industries, we are seeing inflation already. Uh, Construction uh, materials. Uh, uh, how about wood? Gas, up almost wood. Yep. Lumber. Should have had wood futures. Oh, Lord. But most most all the inputs to buy to, to build a home or to to, to con- construct most anything right now. Mm-hmm. Late, you know, lumber, labor, concrete. Well, I mean, what about supply shortages? You look at the auto right. industry where Ford is supply, not going to be able to make some of the I'm cars. Trying to, I'm trying to get a couple of new chairs for our for our new office in Corpus that we just opened here this week. Three months minimum. Some are four. And those are going to be replacing. I've heard appliances can be up to six to eight months. Oh, and how long? And how long is the wait list for uh, generators? Oh, uh, the, six the seven. C- the CEO of Generac said that it could be up to ten months. Ten months yeah. waiting period for a generator. Generac. So, and I. And I heard some story that a trucking company in South Texas was looking to hire drivers at $14,000 a week. That's what I heard. Wow. Yeah. I mean, wow. <laughs> it was on, it was on a, a major website. Bring some callers <laughs> wanting to know where they can find that I, I know. Go to, w, go to WFAA.com. That's where I saw the story. 
Well, let's take a commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, kind of recapping, you know, we're kind of through the recapping of Wall Street from last week. I want to talk about an article that I read, and this is a conversation that we've had on, on the Money Wise program over the past 15 years, and it's always good to kind of rehash it, go back into it, and it's about withdrawal rates and retirement. Now, there was an article in Market Watch. You know, most financial planners, financial advisors, folks on the sales side of the business, now on the money management side of the business, they use kind of an industry standard of a 4% withdrawal rate. Now, at Davidson Capital Management, you know, we've been at this for 32-plus years, and we have actual real-life examples of client number one that helped us uh, hang our shingle back in 1989. That's still a client today. It's a church endowment uh, in the Central Texas area that gave us a lump sum of money and done nothing but pull money out from the very, very beginning. And so we've been able to gauge how our investment management philosophy has been able to sustain their withdrawal rate, but also not encroach on their principal, but in fact, build more assets on top of their original investment while maintaining their withdrawal rate. Now, as the interest rate environment has been coming down for the last 30, 40 years now, uh, we've obviously had to make adjustments in how we manage client assets by having more and more exposure into the stock side of the portfolio in order to generate growth because we're just not getting the level of interest income that we used to from the bond side of our portfolio being a tactically balanced manager. Well, this article was talking about this. This The writer of the article was kind of taking a little bit of an exception with that 4% rule saying that in retirement, you can have a little bit more of a dynamic withdrawal rate. And he was talking more about a 5% range. Well, at Davidson Capital Management, our current maximum recommended gross distribution out of a pool of assets that we manage is 5%. And we set it at 5% with the goal of not encroaching on the principal investment, the original investment into the account and portfolio that we manage to not encroach net of withdrawals and expenses over the life of the account. Now, past performance isn't indicative of future results, but looking at client number one that's still with us today, 32 plus years later, we can prove to a prospective client that our withdrawal rates and our withdrawal management works and been able to maintain, in fact, for that client, north of a 5% withdrawal rate. But really the point of the article is, and the point that I'm trying to make is anyone going into retirement, turning over a pool of assets to an investment professional to handle and setting a withdrawal rate, the big warning from the article is you can't just say, okay, my withdrawal rate's going to be four or it's going to be five, and then I'm never going to adjust it from there. It's just going to stay that way into perpetuity. And that's really a very dangerous mindset to take. And the point that we want to make is that when you go to retirement 
and you're finally retired, you're just at the 50-yard line because you could wind up staying, spending the next 15, 20, 25, even 30 years or more in retirement. You could be in retirement almost as long as you were during your accumulation phase of saving your nest egg. And so from a financial planning standpoint, for our clients at Davidson Capital Management, our financial planning never ends. Every single time we have a meeting with a client that's in retirement, that's in the withdrawal phase of their retirement nest egg, we are constantly doing a checks and balances, examining where is your account value? How much have you encroached on the original principal? Have you not encroached at all? What is your withdrawal rate? What kind of expenditures are you going to have above and beyond your monthly withdrawal rate that you're going to be needing? Are you doing home improvement? Are you buying something, spending a little bit more money? The key is, is that your withdrawal rate can be fluid, but it can be fluid only if you're keeping a very sharp eye on it and constantly performing checks and balances throughout your retirement, meaning constant financial planning. And I'm not talking about the financial plans that you go pay a CFA or CFP two or $3,000 a year to, to stick all your information into a Navistar program and spits out 200 pages of information with all these pretty charts. That's not the financial planning I'm talking about. I'm talking about the real world planning. This is what you started with. This is how much you withdrawn. This is how much you have today. What, is all, what are all those numbers tallying up to be? And can you ma- maintain this withdrawal rate the next year, the next 24 months, the next 48 months? Can that be maintained? And that was really the gist of the article. And I wanted to talk about that. And I think the thing that all of our listeners should take away is financial planning pre-retirement should never end. And financial planning post-retirement should never end either because our goal is to make sure that our clients never run out of money. And it's our job as a fiduciary and as a money manager to have sometimes very tough conversations with our clients when we feel that their withdrawal rate is far exceeding what their assets can do for them under our investment management philosophy to ensure that these assets last a lifetime. And I think a lot of it, when we interview a, cl- a prospective client or we talk to somebody that's getting ready to retire is explain that philosophy to them, explain in certain scenarios, certain things, what we call chunking when you're taking out, Hey, we're not taking a 5% withdrawal stream out. Now we need to take about 10% out. Well, what happens if you have a 10% correction in the market right after you take out that, t- you know, that extra 10% out of your portfolio? That's right. You know, it's, it's a 5% is kind of a speed limit. If you violate that speed limit, in some cases, you can wreck your portfolio. So you have to be very cognizant of that and plan up front for it and make sure you have a budget of what you need going into retirement. Well, and here's the thing. You can't always plan for life. I mean, life can change in the blink of an eye, and we understand that, and we're realists. And there are situations where I have clients calling me and saying, hey, Kyle, I'm thinking about doing this project. Is this a good time? based on market conditions, based on my portfolio, can I do this chunk, as you say, Joe? And, and Joe, you're absolutely right. Chunking your portfolio as you're on top of your monthly withdrawal rate can be extremely dangerous to your portfolio. So the big takeaway from this whole conversation we're having in this segment is to know and understand going into retirement, your financial planning will never end, and you need to be working – with a competent and experienced investment advisor that can prove to you 
that your withdrawal rate can be sustained. Now they can't guarantee it, but you know, past past history does have some pertinence to the future of what an investment management philosophy can do. And so just know that financial planning will never end and retirement is only the 50 yard line. But if you'd like to learn more, you can always give us a call here at 800-275-2162. And with that, for our listeners to on money, the listeners of MoneyWise on 1200 WAI, we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend show. If you'd like to catch a second hour and our continued, continued investor education, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com and click the radio show link. For MoneyWise listeners on 1360 KKTX and Corpus Christi, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on Money Wise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of MoneyWise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past MoneyWise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. Well, as as we like to utilize every second hour of the MoneyWise program going into investor education, and any longtime listeners of the program know that we definitely love our top ten lists uh, I guess it's a little bit of an ode to uh, to David Letterman. Uh, but we have a top ten list for this afternoon's show called The Ten Myths of Retirement Planning. And so we'll dive right in with myth number one. And that first myth is you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. Now, this... <laughs> I would say the financial entertainment press, the legacy distribution system for years and years and years, as long as I've been in the business, which, you know, for me is coming up on 16 years I've been doing this, they have the kind of industry standard that you only need 70 to 80% of what you're currently earning while you're working in retirement to maintain your lifestyle once you are in retirement. And... You know, very honestly, what I try to educate prospective clients uh, that come in here to Davidson Capital Management is that we don't abide by that 70 to 80% of your current income in retirement to maintain your lifestyle. In fact, most instances, I say you need 95 to 100% of what you're currently earning now. You need to be able to withdraw that same amount of money in retirement from your nest egg in order to maintain your lifestyle because the one... 
I think, variable that the legacy distribution system doesn't uh, calculate, doesn't uh, put into their calculation or account for is the fact that what's the one thing that you have a heck of a lot more of in retirement than you do during your working years? Laser time. That's right. You have a lot more leisure time, so you have more time to travel. If you're into hunting, fishing, golfing, those are not cheap hobbies by any stretch of the imagination. Or now you're getting into new hobbies that take more time and more money. And so, you know, that myth that you don't need as much money in retirement as you do right now, again, I think is a complete myth and it's complete bogus. Do you want to add something, Jeff? Well, Go ahead, Dan. Well, I was going to say, also medical expenses, that's the one thing that, uh, that's really the X factor, the unknown factor as you get older, because that's, that's definitely going up. Well, that's true. We don't know the, the inflationary costs of medical care. Obviously, as you get older, you need more and more attention from healthcare professionals. Uh, but I think something else, Dad, that, that's a big unknown that's out there, and I think, um, I'm not even going out of limb on saying this, but with with the deficits that we currently face and the national debt, I mean, to say that taxes are going to be going down in the future, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. And so I think retirees are folks that are working towards retirement and building their nest egg. That's something that they need to keep keep in the back of their mind is, you know, they shouldn't anticipate, oh, well, I'm going to only have a 10 or 12 percent effective tax rate in retirement because nobody knows what their tax rate is going to be, and again, we're assuming that taxes will be going up as far as the eye can see because of the deficits, because of the national debt that we have. I think maybe turning this myth around and turning it into a question is something that we at Davidson Capital Management do time and again when we're meeting with prospective clients, and they ask this question, well, what do you think the portfolio can produce an income in retirement. They may maybe the, the maybe you don't know exactly what you think you will need, but maybe if you had an estimate of what the what your portfolio might produce if you were to retire right now or if you were to retire say 10 years from now at a certain rate of return based on the portfolio nest egg that you have right now and then apply our maximum withdrawal rate here that we have at our firm of 7% a year and say, do you think this number will be enough money for you to retire on uh, when you reach retirement years? Let's say that the, the, that they bring a portfolio of a certain size and we, and we estimate that it will grow at 7 to 8% a year for another 10 years, and the number we start off with is a $1 million. We'll just round it off. Well, at our maximum rate of withdrawal, that's $70,000 a year, 7% of a million dollars. So is, is 70000 do you think $70,000 a year based on a $1 million portfolio will be enough to keep your lifestyle where it is right now? If we find that there's that the the client is spending a hundred and forty thousand dollars a year on their lifestyle, then seventy thousand dollars in retirement, we're not even taking into account any Social Security, of course, might not be enough to support their current lifestyle. So now we now we got to now we got to look at okay, are we going to start saving more now to increase that nest egg size so that we can get a little closer to uh, to that target. Uh, income or do we need to think about uh lowering living expenses lowering 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 living expenses lowering expectations 
uh, for income and retirement, all three. Well, I, Maybe I, think, all three. I, I think one thing that a lot of retirees can get or pre-retirees can get in trouble is they go in with expectations that, well, my portfolio needs to be designed to where I'm, I'm outperforming the S&P 500 each and every year. And if you're creating a financial plan that takes that scenario in, 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 into effect, that is extremely, extremely dangerous. And by saying that I need to have my portfolio outperforming the S&P each and every year, it's unrealistic. It's very unrealistic. And the one, one of the big problems that pre-retirees have going into maybe a professional asset manager relationship is they have unrealistic expectations, and what they need to do is they need to establish a goal, a plan. You know, my goal for this money is to grow 8% per year. Like you said, Jeff, let's sit down and work out a plan, and what are your goals, and say, okay, if you only need to earn 7 maybe 8% annualized over, you know, after all fees and expenses for a lengthy period of time, let's say the next 10 or 15 years, to have a comfortable retirement, then that's really what you should focus on and how you should position your portfolio and allocate it. But if you're the type of investor that's like, i got to beat the S&P each and every year, you're setting yourself up for disappointment and failure because it is next to impossible to do. Well, when we come back from the break, I want to take a different approach. That's that's one type of client that we see uh, here at Davidson Capital, but there's also another type I want to talk about when we come back. Okay, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the MoneyWise program, you can send our emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're focusing on the second hour of this weekend's program, the 10 myths of retirement planning. We're actually still working on myth number one. Uh, that myth, again, uh, you will not need as much money during retirement as you do right now. And so we were talking before we went to break about setting goals and having appropriate goals in place and appropriate expectations in place with your nest egg as you're going into retirement. And, Jeff, I know you wanted to add a little bit to that. Well, that is that is one. We see this that this type of scenario with some prospective clients that are looking for maximum performance. They're, they're, they're very much focused on performance, and we understand that. But I think... Another type of client that we that we're seeing, and maybe this is an offshoot of of the, of the new target date funds that have been out here about the last ten years, and that's this assumption that as I get closer and closer to retirement, I need to have more and more of my money in in bond investments and in fixed income investments, and less and less in stock because I need to be taking less risk. And so, by having more money in fixed income, well, that would be traditionally saying, well, I'm taking less risk. Well. That's all fine and good in a normal interest rate environment, and I use that in quotations. As, but this is not a normal interest Definitely rate Definitely not normal. And we have not had a normal interest rate environment for a very long time. And it appears that we may not have a normal interest rate environment for a number of years into the future. So... <clears throat> 
having a asset allocation strategy that as I'm approaching retirement, I need to have less than what we would recommend an, uh, an allocation in stocks in the current rate environment and more of an allocation to bonds, but yet still have a uh, expected rate of return of 8% is not realistic. Mm-hmm. Is not realistic at all. And so m- maybe the two tie together is about having realistic expectations and understanding that in order to deliver those expectations, you have to have a certain ratio of stocks to bonds based on the existing current interest rate environment. Yes, Doug? Well, just say we were looking at a traditional balanced account, which in the old days would be 60% stock, 40% bond. Well, if you're at a 10% return in stocks, that means you're going to get 6% from your stock side of the portfolio. The problem is the 40% that would be sitting in bonds with a 10-year bond you know, slightly you know, less than 3, you're, you're not getting up to the 7% which we have seen is a safe withdrawal rate going back our 25 years. But it is because of the bond component. The bond component right now is changing the math on what people need for retirement. But I don't think the retirees are picking up on that fact, Dad. I, I don't think they are. And when you're talking about target date funds putting more money into bonds as people approach retirement, what is the most dangerous asset class out there right now? It is bonds. Fixed income. Because we don't know very how few the people Fed, say very very few people would say that. No, I, nobody would say that. I don't think other than people that run bonds like us. We either know. Than us, either we, than us. we know. We know that it's dangerous. You get the Bill Grosses of the world that come out and say it's a new normal. They don't want to come out and say it's a new bubble. They don't want to say the bubble word connected with bonds. So. Are we moving on to myth number two? Myth number two. Myth number two. My retirement years won't last that long. The fact is, today's today, individuals in their 50s and 60s, of course, are generally healthier than previous generations. So if you're 65 years old right now, your life expectancy is approximately 21 years. And with a life expectancy of 21 years means that you have a 50% chance of dying by year 21 and a 50% chance of living longer. So if you're 65 right now, you have a 50-50 chance of of living past 86 years old. And so that again goes along with creating that plan and having your goals and realizing is my nest egg sufficient enough to sustain me? Till I'm 86, or till I'm 95, and if you and have, nobody knows, and if you have a seven percent rate of withdrawal in your portfolio, and you've got a hundred percent fixed income earning you two percent, you're not going to get there. It's not. It may not last 21 years. You know, as I always, as I say to prospective clients, if we all knew when the last day on this earth would be for each one of us, man, retirement planning would be so much easier. But unfortunately, and I guess fortunately, we don't know when that day is going to be. No, myth number three, you can afford to start planning for your retirement a few years before your retirement date. In fact, it is never too soon to begin planning for retirement. Time is one of the most powerful tools in the accumulation of wealth. The sooner you start to accumulate assets and plan for your retirement years, the better, the less you will need to set aside each year in order to achieve the same objective. Now, I've talked about this over and over and over again for a number of years using the example of someone that was just fresh out of college, that just graduated, just got their diploma, and they get their first job, 
And if they had a, if they, this, this, this one million dollar goal to have in your in your retirement years, you start off your retirement with a one one million dollar nest egg. If you started saving when you were twenty one, twenty two years old, and you save for forty years to get to sixty two, the you would have to save what amounts to about a, skipping lunch every day brown bagging out. it by brown. brown bagging it going to work about about eight dollars a day it's like 250 dollars a month if you save that amount of money at 22 years old and you never change it you would accumulate you would accumulate about a million dollars at an eight percent compounded rate of return you know what our listeners can do they can just go into google and google the term time value of money and read the explanation I mean, it's very, very simple. And, and again, if you're someone who's in their 40s, maybe in their early 50s, and you haven't started saving for retirement, I mean, this is when you need to buckle down and start putting the pedal to the metal uh, to, to try to save as much as possible. It's never too late. As we've always said on the radio show, pay yourself first. But this myth number three rolls right into myth number four for those individuals that have failed to plan for their retirement, and that myth number four is that Social Security will provide enough income for my retirement years. Bottom line, Social Security accounts for approximately 38% of the average retiree of the average retiree's income. So, uh, you know, you're you're talking, you know, 62% that still needs to be made up. And 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 again, to be very blunt. If you're relying on the federal government to take care of you in retirement, again, you are setting yourself up for failure. We all know the Social Security system is broken. It needs a substantial overhaul. Um, the fact that Social Security benefits with cost of living adjustments, or COLA for short, have become smaller and smaller and smaller over the years. Um if you're one of those individuals that's just relying on Social Security to take care of you, again, you're planning for failure in your retirement years and possibly working to the day that you die. You have to start planning and you have to start putting away. You know, if you follow myth number three, then you're going to wind up falling into the trap of myth number four. So myth number five, I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. Boy, this is extremely, extremely dangerous to think that a traditional pension or defined benefit plan is going to take care of you throughout the rest of your retirement years. And, and again, as, as we all know, uh, with the invention of the 401K through the Tax Reform Act of 1978, this is where corporate America has been going. They've been shifting away from the defined benefit plan. So there might only be a handful of listeners of this weekend's program that have the luxury of having a defined benefit plan. But we have always recommended at Davidson Capital Management that if you have the ability to take a cash lump sum distribution from your pension, and the, and the way that you can do that is, first off, your pension has to have over an 80% uh, funding rate by the corporation 
to take a 100% lump sum, and then if it has a 60 to 80% funded rate from the corporation, you can take a partial lump sum distribution, and then any pension that's less than 60% funded, you're going to have to take the pension payment. And I know, you know one particular organization here in town that falls in that category of having an underfunded pension. But, you know, the one thing that they don't tell you when they give you the options that you can select at time of retirement, whether to take a lump sum or to take the annuity payments from your pension, is that these pension payments are not adjusted for inflation. So maybe that $1,500 so that, $1, that you started receiving in your pension on month one and year one is going to be buying a heck of a lot less goods and services 10 years from now. And I think that's one area that retirees forget, that monetary inflation is eroding your purchasing power. And once you start taking that pension payment, there's no going back. You're done. You're locked out. That's what you're going to be getting for the rest of your life and it's not adjusted for inflation, so each and every month that goes by, you're going to be able to buy a little less goods and services. So you need to keep that in the back of your mind, and that's one main reason, one huge reason why we recommend to take a lump sum distribution, if you can, from your traditional pension. With that, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we've been talking this hour about the 10 myths, the 10 myths of retirement planning. Um, we've gotten to myth, and we came to the bottom of the hour break. We're on myth number five, uh, which was I have my pension plan to provide for my retirement income and will not need any additional savings. And as we went to break, was talking about what we recommend to prospective clients at Davidson Capital Management when you can take the lump sum distribution from your pension to do that, for one, so you now have full, complete control of those assets. Also, so you can put those assets to work for you in an allocation model that can provide you with growth and something that's going to be appropriate for you to help make that money last your entire uh, lifespan in retirement, but also to help combat, combat monetary inflation. Because again, that's one thing that the pension provider is not going to tell you at a pre-retirement meeting is that once you annuitize that pension and start taking that monthly check, that's the check that you're going to continue to receive. It's not going to be adjusted for inflation. And so that $1,500, as an example, that you start receiving each and every month will buy less goods and services as every month goes by. So imagine, and think of it very easily, will $1,500 20 years ago buy the same amount of goods and service as it does today? No, because of monetary inflation. That is the one thing that is not discussed enough with pre-retirees. It's one aspect uh, of the market that, that individuals don't think about a lot and why I've always been a big advocate that every brokerage statement across this country should have a notation of what monetary inflation was for that reporting period so they realize, oh, I did lose a little bit of value in my CD because of monetary inflation or I lost value of my money sitting in cash in the bank vault 
because of monetary inflation. It, it affects pensions the exact same way. So myth number six, Medicare will take care of my health insurance. And I'm glad that this is on the list of myths because this is a conversation I have when I go through my financial road mapping exercises with clients when we work with our clients that are working towards that retirement I don't want to say retirement goal line. I would say retirement is the 50-yard line. So as they're working to the 50-yard line of the field to go into retirement, when I start, when I have our clients work on their monthly budgets, I always want them to put in some type of figure for supplemental insurance to Medicare. I always tell our clients that do not rely 100% on Medicare. And you know the bottom line is, is that Medicare pays less than a half of a typical retiree's medical bills and that you have to have a supplemental plan. And, Dad, I mean, you're absolutely. you're an absolute authority on this. No, no, because no, that's, you're absolutely correct, Kyle. And so I always want to build into a retirement budget, and this is, again, an exercise for any pre-retiree that's working on their monthly budget to include, what do you pay, around four uh, $500 a month? It's getting more and more expensive. It is, okay. So um, your supplemental plan is getting more yes. and more expensive. So I would say... And we've already reduced one of the portions of it. So would you say for a pre-retiree to maybe work in four to maybe $600 a month for that supplemental policy uh, or even more? Uh, actually, it's going to be it's going to start to be more than that. Really? Yes. That's what it is currently. Maybe six, to, it is. Maybe six to $800? It's, uh, it's getting there. It's getting there. So the bottom line is, is that... Well, the problem is, at this point in time... Because of Obamacare, we, we don't totally know the effects yet. You know, th- this has not got through the system. And the other thing that doesn't come out in this that they won't tell you is you're not going to see all the same health professionals you saw before. Not every doctor wants Medicare patients. That's true. And so there's instances where your, your specialists are going to change. That's, not all, that's another myth, too. Is that you may <laughs> You're not, adding myth number eleven. You, you may be going <laughs> you, to San Antonio to see someone you want to see. Myth: You can keep all of your current healthcare yes. providers. Yeah, that's not myth. even that's your not, primary care. That's positions. not true on Medicare, much less Obamacare. So, anyone working out a monthly budget pre-retiree, they need to figure in a health insurance cost, even if you're going into Medicare, because you're going to have to have that supplemental policy. Uh, myth number seven, all my assets are in safe vehicles for long-term accumulation and do not need to be watched closely. What the heck are I mean, safe vehicles for long-term accumulation? What do, what do they mean is, by that? There is none. Well, I, I know an annuity salesman would say this annuity, yes. this indexed annuity, this variable annuity, that's that's safe. It's quote-unquote guaranteed. That talk should have ended Hardy in 08 or 09. I mean, they, they might be talking about... Certificates of deposit, yes. or government bonds, yes. But those safe vehicles for long-term accumulation aren't accumulating a whole lot. <laughs> I was about in, to say in, they, in today's interest rates, they need to define what is accumulation. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very loose term. Something right less there. than one percent is not accumulating to me. I mean, I mean the, the the bottom line: anyone going into retirement with, oh, I've got everything in CDs, I've got everything in my money market account, I've got everything in fixed income, I'm safe, I can go on my trips, on my vacations, I can go play with the grandkids and the family, I don't have to think about it, don't have to worry about it. If you don't work with an investment professional who has discretionary control and is a registered investment advisor to manage those assets for you, 
then you're the portfolio manager. And you can Well, there is a portfolio manager. Whether you hire one or not, you've hired yourself. That's right. Yeah, that that means that you're the portfolio manager and you cannot fall asleep behind the wheel and following this methodology of oh, I'm safe, I don't need to watch it closely. Again, setting yourself up for failure. This is why we've always used the Money Wise program to educate and to enlighten pre-retirees and retirees that you always have to be vigilant in your portfolio, whether you're doing it yourself or whether you're working with an investment professional, it's something that has to be paid attention to. Well, I mean, you are the portfolio manager on your 401k plan. That's right. That That's right. If you don't have a self-directed brokerage option, and, and again, that brings up another important point, something that a lot of 401k plans don't talk about, is in-service distribution options for participants in 401ks that are age 59 and a half and older. If you're planning on working another five or six years, guess what? At 59 and a half, you have the ability to hire an investment professional, roll your 401k assets out into a self-directed IRA that you can now get professionally managed. And for someone who's amassed 500, 600, 800, a million dollars in their 401k and they don't feel comfortable with what they're doing in their own account, this is when you might want to start looking at your options as you're continuing to work and participating in the 401k for looking at a self-directed, uh, either a self-directed or an in-service distribution option in the 401k. Um, so myth number eight, I can always use the equity in my home to add to my retirement income. Well, this might have been a thought pattern prior to the housing collapse back from 2006 and 2007, and with home values just starting to come back well, and revive. You know, they're bubbling up in here. There's no question about that. They, they are, depending upon what part of the country you live in. Um, but again, as we've always educated and always talked about here on the Money Wise program, is that you should view your house as where you live. Do not view it as an investment. If you have your house paid off, yeah, you have equity built into it. It's kind of a break glass in case of emergency type thing. But if you're developing a financial plan in retirement that revolves around taking a reverse mortgage out or taking a home equity line of credit out and, and living off of the equity bills into your house, again, you're planning and setting yourself up for failure. And again, with the financial crisis back in 08, which again, housing market had a lot to lend itself to, to that financial crisis, there's a lot of folks that still could be underwater, have zero or very little home equity. Um, so we always say don't look at your house as a piggy bank. Look at your house as where you live. And if you have equity built into it, fantastic. But don't include it in a financial plan that, hey, this is a register that I'm going to be able to ring if I need to. Anything else you wanted to add? Myth number nine. If need be, my family can always help me out. This is my plan. <laughs> Well, that's myth number nine. Yeah, right? that, that's myth. That's myth Usually number myth nine. Number one. Yeah, myth number nine. And the fact is that many people use this as an excuse for delay, delaying retirement planning, but in reality, no one wants to rely on other family members to help them out financially to fund their retirement years. And if anything, these are the years when you want true financial independence and do not want to feel as if you are a burden on your family. Uh, there must be some very interesting Thanksgivings out there. I mean, the, the fact that 
this many people could be getting along. I thought it would be, would be the last people that you'd want to rely on would be family members. You're, well, I, I mean, and unfortunately, again, if if you're the type of investor or the lack thereof, not investing, not planning, you know, believing in a lot of these myths that we've already discussed, then you're going to wind up falling into the category where you're going to be looking to your children or looking to other family members to take care of you in retirement and, again, becoming a burden on them. And, and, and I would think that that's, that's not a conversation that any parent wants to have with their child saying, well, hey, Sally, hey, you know, I'm going to be moving in with you now. I hope you have an uh, yeah, extra room I, in your house. Yeah, I'm going to be, because I did such a poor job planning for retirement, now I'm going to come live with you. How, what do you think about that? Or, or then the parents become a travel agent for guilt trips and say, well, I paid for your college. I did I all this you. for you. I raised you. You owe me this. I would recommend try not to be one of those parents that's a you owe me this kind of parent. You have to do the planning yourself and prepare for your retirement. Well, we're going to take our last commercial break. When we come back, we'll be wrapping up the 10 Myths of retirement planning and we'll do that after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management you money wise guys will be back after the break welcome back you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management if you'd like to learn more about the money wise guys you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on monday to discuss your personal financial situation you can reach us in our local corpus christi office at nine zero six zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap com. So we spent the last hour of this weekend's Money Wise program going through the ten myths of retirement planning and we've finally arrived at myth number ten and that myth is money is everything when it comes to retirement planning. Uh, now, money is important, but it isn't everything because, again, you could have $4 million nest egg saved up, but you're spending $400,000 a year to maintain your lifestyle, and guess what? That nest egg isn't going to last too long. And so you could you could have been a fantastic saver, but if you're going into retirement with a massive amount of debt, consumer debt, you know, huge house payment, a bunch of car payments, a lot of toys, high monthly expenses, and and you're leading this very, very extravagant lifestyle, doesn't matter how much you, you, you've saved because you have to pay attention to what you're spending. Yeah. It's about creating a proper balance. And, and, it's, well, and it's pretty rare that we see folks that have accumulated tr- large nest eggs but but also have been have really big spending habits. Usually it's their nest egg is moderate to maybe a little below average, but they have big spending habits. Well, well what I see also is we'll still see people that save quite a bit of money and then they get in retirement and they're way too frugal. They're so afraid they're going to outlive their money, they won't even Enjoy, real, enjoy yeah. some of the fruits of their labor. I mean, I see well, this it, more. It, it's 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 about a happy medium, a happy balance. But I think that it goes back to your point: is that 
retirement planning has to stay flexible. You have to be malleable because life can change in the blink of an eye. Markets change each and every day. Allocations can adjust. You have to be flexible. This is why we're such humongous advocates against, again, let me repeat, against annuities of any shape or form because it takes away that flexibility right. and that malleability. We're, we're very much against taking, if you if you work for a corporation that offers a, a, a pension plan and you and you take the pension payment and don't take the lump sum, we're very much against taking the pension payment because you're locking yourself in to this amount of money for the rest of your life. It will be, never be a penny more or a penny less. And no one knows that that's going to be enough with that's your right. other retirement income to get through retirement. So like, like Kyle said, and then we'll reiterate it again, flexibility is the key because markets don't stay the same. Life doesn't stay the same. I, I, and, to, and to me, of the ten myths, the one that, that, that really I strikes a chord with strikes you. Strikes a chord. I would not even consider retiring without a supplemental plan to my Medicare. Do not rely on Medicare for your health costs because that is the one guarantee I would say you're definitely going to be using as you get older. So it's death, taxes, and increase in medical care, <laughs> increased cost of medical care. Yes. Those are the three now. It's not just death and taxes. Well, that's right. Inflation and medical inflation care. Inflation is all – I don't know that I've ever lived – in, in two years in a row that we haven't had a pos- positive inflation. We've had inflation practically every year of my life. And, the, and and if I've been living 48, I have no reason to doubt that the next 48 are going to have inflation also. Now, despite what the government says, current interest, current inflation rates being somewhere less than 2%, I don't know anyone that uh, isn't paying more than 2% for their living expenses. And so I'm a little suspicious of how the government's computing these numbers. And, you know, we've always used at least a minimum 3% uh, inflation rate. And so if, if, you're, if you're accumulating assets into retirement and you unfortunately have received advice or believe that as you approach those retirement years, you should have less and less money in stocks and more and more money in, a, in fixed income or bond investments – there isn't a bond investment out there that has a uh, that is uh, what we would consider to be investment grade that's yielding more than three percent unless you go way way out. Well, there's the no one yielding seven, and we're talking about in our experience, our 25 years, we've seen where you can take seven percent out of a balanced portfolio and still have a portfolio of the size still, but you what started I'm, with. Yeah, but what I'm saying yeah. is is that Greater than the you, you can't even get a fixed income investment that we would consider investing in that's investment grade that even reaches what we believe is, is at least the minimum true rate of inflation. No, and, and, and again, everyone's inflationary rate is different, but if you're going into retirement anticipating that your inflationary rate's going down, not with medical care costs. No. Not with medical care costs. I don't think medical co- Medicare costs are growing at at three percent or less a year. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, in, I think it goes college tuition, medical costs, and those the, are and probably the, that, high single digit rates of inflation. For for tuition, it's actually I've seen I've seen statistics it's double digits with 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 college costs. So, 
you know the, the the bottom the bottom line is is that you have to prepare you have to plan as i've always tried to educate on this program that if if you're listening to the show and you're 6 months 12 months out from retiring this is when you need to start getting on the horse and start interviewing investment professionals that you might be interested in working with finding out what they have to offer, seeing how they work with their clients, find out if they're taking discretionary control and are acting as a fiduciary, as a registered investment advisor does, like we do here at Davidson Capital Management, or are they only going to sell you investment products and do what's suitable for you, which does not, which does not mean putting your interests in front of their own or the firm that employs them. You need to start doing that work in advance. Do not get caught behind the eight ball. I don't know how many times I've talked about it on this show, but since we're talking about retirement planning, I always want to bring this up. You know, I've met with some folks that get caught behind the eight ball, and they're scrambling to try to figure out who they're going to work with. They wind up making a very hasty decision because they sat in one sales presentation said, wow, that sounds good. They threw around the word guaranteed a lot and guaranteed this rate of return and guaranteed that and all these guarantees. Well, I'm just going to sign on the dotted line, and then they're toast. Their portfolio is toast, and they're locked into something. They've lost their flexibility. They lost their flexibility, and the bill of goods that was sold to them was completely false smoke and mirrors and then they wind up regretting that and then a lot of times we wind up working with these people where we're having to unwind these hasty decisions that they made and sometimes can cost them quite significantly and it can't be done overnight and, either. And exactly and it can't be done overnight so you know again you have to plan you have to prepare do not get sucked in to these myths and if there's anything that we can do for you at Davidson Capital Management, you want to talk about your your financial situation, give us a call, 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, and my brother, Jeff, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week. <laughs>